0: So, so, I'd like to start with just a very brief announcement, re- relevant only for people here. <coughs> I checked with checking in the calendar, and we're f- we formally end the, this retreat on a Monday. But uh, that means we've actually finished the previous day, and you, but we stay overnight, and then you leave anytime you like on that Monday. I'm leaving on that Monday at two o'clock in the morning. So. And so I need to leave here about midnight on Sunday night. And then I've got a long flight up to Korea and then down to Sydney with a very long layover. So I'm really kind of looking up forward to resting up a little bit on that Sunday. And it's kind of our day off anyway. So what, I would, what I'm anticipating or planning for is that we'll really have our, our last uh, collective session, group session like this, on Saturday night. So we'll fo- kind of formally end then. Uh, but also wanting to um, give everybody equal opportunity for the one-on-one meetings. Uh, then for those who have your interviews scheduled on Monday, I'll see you on Sunday. Okay. And, but beside that, to stay off, you might want to go off to the beach. You might, We're really finished, by Saturday night. Go to the beach, anything you like. If you want to hang out here, of course you're welcome to do that. Uh, and then they expect us to vacate on Monday after, after, after breakfast. Right? So, so that just want to give you a heads up so you can, you can make any kind of plans you want to uh, in that regard so that's that. Uh, We're coming to the halfway point. And so now that we've had a full week of this merging mind with space, am I always requiring you a little bit to multitask during the session, even to the point of telling you to forget what I've just told you? Um, What I'd like to have now is a completely silent session for which then there's no need to have the next 24 minutes recorded. One silent session, merging mind with space, and then we'll do a little bit of a wrap-up. So please find a comfortable posture. So, I'd like to share with you this morning a bit of background material in very broad strokes, kind of a sketch of the very big picture. Uh, This may not be at all relevant right now. It may be relevant now. It may be relevant five years from now or five lifetimes from now. Uh, But I find it very, very meaningful. And it has everything to do with the whole theme of marga, of path. And so, for those of you who are Buddhist scholars, I think this might also be very helpful to contextualize the practices of Dzogchen and Mahamudra within the broader framework, especially of Mahayana Buddhism, with the whole presentation very uh, elaborately presented in uh, many, many, well, the sutras and many of the great commentaries on the five paths and the ten bhumis, the ten bodhisattva grounds. So, what I'd like to share with you now is just how these map on so first of all, in terms of Dzogchen, Dzogchen this is a classic Dzogchen now. In terms of stages of realization within kind of bona fide or classic Dzogchen practice, specifically the tekshu, the breakthrough to pristine awareness, the tekshu, the direct crossing over, where you're at, crossing over means you're kind of leaping or crossing over from one Bodhisattva ground to another rather than methodically going from the first to the second to the third, fourth. We'll see just in a moment that there's kind of a crossing over, a leaping over. okay, uh, And then how this relates to the five paths and the ten bhumis. Then we'll go on to, again, a brief, a brief discussion of Mahamudra and the four yogas to see how this fits into the big framework. Um, I think this is important, even though it's somewhat abstract right now, a but, bit theoretical, but that we don't um, do what ever so often happens in the modern popularization of Mahamudra and Dzogchen, where one kind of... Let's take takes a, a one week Mahamudra class, and then th- comes out thinking he a Mahamudra practitioner, or one week of uh, Dzogchen, You get pointing out instructions, and then you think, okay, now I'm resting in Rikpa. Maybe you are, if you're just an extraordinary prodigy, then that's certainly possible. What's not possible, uh, but to give everybody the impression that kind of you've you really got it in a week of Dzogchen and Rikpa and so forth. Well, apart from the extraordinary prodigy, uh, that's Utterly misleading, and they actually really hamper people's practice because then they'll never learn about the significance of shamatha, of vipassana, let alone the whole context for that. They'll just think, "Oh, never mind that." You know, I'm I'm a Dzogchen practitioner. I'm resting in rikpa. So, in terms of the stages of realization of, on the path of Dzogchen, there are said to be four levels of vidya A Vidya So vidya is rikpa, and dara is one who holds. So a vidya dara is one who has a direct unmediated, non-dual, non-conceptual realization of rikpa. Hence, hold rikpa. If we had to translate it, it could be maybe a sage. A sage, but one who is holding the wisdom of the direct realization of rikpa. That means that person knows who he or she is, because you've now tapped into your ultimate identity. You really know who you are. You know your mind is Dharmakaya. So the first of these four stages is called that of a, a matured vidyadada, a matured Vidyadatta, and now I'll quote directly from the Vajra essence. And this is in the context of a prayer. But, and I've just uh, taken out from this prayer, it's a, quite a beautiful prayer, uh, just the contextualization of each of these four stages of Vidyadatta. So the first line that I'll cite is this, due to the noble qualities of the vision of direct perception, may we experience the benefits of the sublime, very joyful stage this is a Bodhisattva ground. And the ground and path of a matured Vidyadara. So an enormous amount is packed into that. On, this, on the, um, the highest levels of Dzogchen practice, when you're venturing there into the direct crossing over, then in that borderland between the breakthrough and the direct crossing over, there is this a vision of direct perception. The vision of direct perception. And that's a direct perception of Rigpa. Okay, You can get there just by the practice of texture, breaking through to pristine awareness, you may augment that with the initial stages of the direct crossing-over practices, which I won't be discussing in this retreat. Uh, so, but with the due to the noble qualities of this direct perception of uh, this vision of direct perception again, of that, may we experience the benefits of this sublime, very joyful stage. This is Raptagawa Tibetan. It's the first of the ten Bodhisattva Bhumis. It corresponds to the, the Mahayana path of seeing. Okay? Seeing what? Seeing, ultimate reality, emptiness, or Dhatu. So for the bodhisattva who's following the bodhisattva path, without Vajrayana, without Mahamudra Dzogchen, then when you become an adiya bodhisattva, you've achieved that ground, the very joyful ground, you've achieved the third of the five paths, the path of seeing, and you have this direct, non-conceptual, unmediated realization of emptiness. But now to clarify that just a little bit, I won't linger a lot here, but it's like being, again, in, in a dream, a non-lucid dream, but you are directly realizing the emptiness of inherent nature of everything in the dream. Everything appearing objectively, your presence subjectively, the duality of subject and object, you totally nail it. While you're in meditative equipoise, you're having that direct realization of emptiness. Now, when you come out of meditation, now this is a classic Mahayana, when you come out of meditation, you're in the post-meditative state. You're engaging with the world, drinking tea, and so forth. Then you're engaging with what's called the dream-like meditation. And that is you're viewing all these phenomena. You're really seeing them as like a dream. Okay. Whereas when you're in meditative equipoise, you're resting in the space-like, direct realization of emptiness. Okay? But between sessions, dream-like, okay? which is quite because actually you are dreaming, right? You remember that, and so. But you think, well, wow, this is really like a dream. Now, a vidyadara, a matured vidyadara, is exactly like that. He's a person in that same dream. Okay, I'll put it in the male because we don't have a nice gender-neutral third-person singular pronoun. Uh, he, for the time being, uh, as a matured vidyadara, is in this in the same dream. Also has direct realization of the emptiness of all the phenomena within the dream. But the mind with which he's realizing the emptiness of the phenomena he experiences as not the mind of the person in the dream because he's lucid. So he's realizing the emptiness of all the phenomena in the dream from the perspective of being awake, lucid. And by the sheer power of being lucid, of course you see everything as being empty. Okay? So this person knows he's awake, as the Buddha said, I am awake. This person knows his mind is Dharmakaya and is viewing the emptiness of all phenomena from that perspective. Okay. It's a nice, very close analogy. So that's it from the, And so that's the ground and path of a matured Vidyadatta. So until there, until you're there, you're not a Vidyadatta. You don't have direct realization of Rigpa. Uh, but you have a lot of work to do because we're, he's referring here to the path of seeing there's the path of accumulation. There's the path of preparation, or sometimes called the path of joining. Doesn't matter, but that's the ground for you to really develop your shamatha and your vipassana. There's a lot of work there. To think, oh, never mind the first two paths: path, path of accumulation, path of preparation. I just want to practice Chen. I'm going to sit here. Okay, make the joke out of it. That's why the contextualization is important. Let's not, you know, be reductionistic here. Then the second of the of those four four visions. The first one in the turtgel practice. Now, from now on, we're really talking about tutgel, the direct crossing over. The second of those four visions is called progress in visionary experience, and I won't exp- explain it right now. It would really take us; would get very elaborate. But it has been explained in a couple of books that I've translated. Most specifically, for example, *A Spacious Path to Freedom* by Karma Chakman. And so, by th- so the second vision is the power of the progress of visionary experience. By the power of progress and visionary experience, says the Vajra Essence, may we cross over to the fifth stage. So you're on the first, and now you're crossing over. You're leaping over second, third, and fourth. Whee! Okay? We, may we cross over to the fifth stage known as difficult to purify, the fifth Arya Bodhisattva ground, and may we attain all the noble qualities of the stages and paths of the Vidya with mastery over life. With mastery over life, or power over life, and what this means is you really can completely control your lifespan, the duration of your life. Okay? The, Buddha, the Buddha himself claimed that, that he could do that. So that's it. So there's the second. So now you, and, and this is a um, Vidyadara with mastery over life. That's the, the name of that Vidyadara, the second level. We go to the third. Do, so now the, the third of the four visions within the direct crossing over is called reaching consummate awareness, or pristine awareness. Due to the virtues of reaching consummate awareness, may we cross over to the eighth stage. So now we've skipped the sixth and the seventh. Right over. May we cross over to the eighth stage known as the immovable, the eighth Arya Bodhisattva Bhumi, and may we attain all the noble qualities of the stages and paths of a Mahamudra Vidya, Vidyadada. A Mahamudra Vidyadada. That's the third kind. And then now, finally, there's the spontaneously actualized or spontaneously accomplished Vidyadatta. And finish this off by the power of. And then the fourth vision is the, the vision of the extinction into ultimate reality. Extinction into ultimate reality. And in this case, uh, all appearances of everything your mind, your body, the environment, everything all appearances that were generated, brought forth by the power of Karma and Klesha of your own karma and klesha. In other words, they're impure because they're generated by the power of your own karma and klesha. All appearances, all impure appearances generated by karma and klesha now dissolve and vanish forever. They are extinguished, never to come back, from your perspective, into dhammata, ultimate reality, or okay. That doesn't mean that there are no pure appearances. It just means there are no impure appearances. It's quite something. And so due to, by the power of the intellect transcending, that is, this is utterly beyond the scope of imagination or intellect, beyond all conceptual frameworks, by the power of the intellect transcending, extinction into ultimate reality, may we cross over to the great tenth stage. So now we skipped another one. We skipped the ninth May we cross over to the great 10th stage known as the Cloud of Dharma. That's the 10th Arya Bodhisattva ground. And may we swiftly attain the noble qualities of the stages and paths of a spontaneously actualized Vidyadhara. And that's when you become a Buddha. So there's a lot more that can be said about those, but right, not right now. Kambu uh, Nakchun, one of the authorities, one of the great uh, adepts of the um, Dzogchen tradition, he just adds this about these four levels. Those who have not been able to purify their bodies, so the body still remains, you know, ordinary body, but whose minds have ripened into the deity's body. So their mind, the mind has ripened into the de- deity's body. That should really be deity's mind, I'm going to put it that way. Or, well, actually, it's, it's kaya. So it's, their minds have ripened into the dharmakaya, OK? So your body is still, OK, still your material body but your mind has ripened into or matured into uh, the Dharmakaya or pristine awareness. Such a person is known as a mature, matured vidadara. So now you can see why. Ripened. So I'm going to change ripened into matured because that makes it clearer. And into the deities. Well, okay, that's okay. But rather than saying body, because not really body, it's kaya as in Dharmakaya. Are known as matured vedadatas, and then secondly, those who have the, those who have the ability to purify the ordinary body with the fire of concentration, so samadhi, and transform it into a subtle body. So now, they're, they're, now this this alchemy is really taking place. You're not you've not only transmuted your mind, but you've really have now really begun the powerful transmutation of your body into subtle body. We see cases of this. I, I read about. A, I, I cited from that um, that research on, on Rainbow's body, I think, yesterday. But there have been a number of cases quite recently, uh, inside and at least, I think, one outside of Tibet over the last 10, 20 years, where the Mahamudra adept, the Dzogchen adept, passes away. And then this weirdest thing, it's been witnessed by quite a number of people. And it's happened repeatedly. Uh, where the, the adept will pass away, and then maybe often sitting upright in meditation, and then the body literally, it's just weird and spooky, but it's been really witnessed quite a number of times, including very recently, the whole body diminishes in size proportionately. So you may be, if you're an ordinary Tibetan, let's say five foot six, five foot seven, then everything just gets smaller. You become a little person, but then it stops. So you've just shrunk down, so you're like, oh, often to about two feet. You were five foot six, now you're under two feet. Everything proportional there. Now you're wearing massively oversized robes, I would imagine, because they don't shrink. Uh, but then it stops. Then it stops. And I asked Gautja Rinpoche about this, because he knows, of course, all about this. And I said, what can you say of such a person where the body is largely dematerialized? What's left now is the, the, the amount of material left They've dematerialized everything else, and now the, the facade has vanished. And this is after the dying process. And then, okay, that's how much left, you know? And that's actually made out of atoms and molecules and so forth. And I asked Gautam and you, what does that indicate? And he said, well, not yet come to the culmination of the path of Dzogchen, but very, very far along, very far along the path. Okay? Um, yeah. So, that's it, and that's for the. So those who transform their body into the subtle body acquire the power of immortal life. That is, they can live as long as they like and are called Vidyadharas with power or mastery over life. And then those who are on the second to the ninth Bhumis are Mahamudra Vidyadharas. And then at the end of the path, at the moment of Buddhahood, when Buddhahood is reached, they are spontaneously accomplished or spontaneously actualized Vidyadharas. And then just briefly now, very briefly, and we'll finish, in terms of Mahamudra. So I mentioned there were these four, these four yogas that are really the marga, the path. And the first of these is single-pointed. And so according, according to Tapotashi Namgyal, in a text called Moonlight of Mahamudra, he states this. This is very succinct. He said, the outer and inner inner preliminary practices... So, the outer and inner, inner preliminary practices. These are like the outer, or like the four thoughts that turn the mind. The inner preliminary practices, uh, when you like Vajrasattva, Guru Yoga, and so forth. So, including those, and including the yoga of one pointedness. So, there's the first one. Remember that one, yeah. These correspond to the first of the five paths, the path of accumulation. Okay? And you don't reach that path unless you've achieved shamatha and some degree of union of, with Vipassana. And then the second of the four yogas is freedom from elaboration or conceptual elaboration, also sometimes called simplicity, but freedom from, uh, from elaboration, and this corresponds to, um, here it's called the path of application. Well, let's just, I'm going to call it preparation. It's, it's, very, it's not bad, but application, preparation, joining, it's fine. It's prayoga in Sanskrit, but that's the second of the five paths. So this freedom from elaboration corresponds to the second path, the path of preparation. And this is where there is some degree of realization of emptiness. You may also very likely, if not certainly, have some degree of realization of rikpa. Like, for example, when you get pointing out instructions okay, by an authentic master in your authentic, suitable vessel to receive and sustain insight into rikpa due to pointing out instructions. Okay, Do you have a direct, non-dual, unmediated, non-conceptual realization? No, but you really do have, you've gotten the taste and that's where your practice becomes so simple, if you're simply resting in rikpa. Well, then you're on the path of preparation. And then the path of one taste. The path of one taste. Now, that one taste, that's a big term in Mahamudra and Zokchen, Enormously important. And it's the one taste of samsara and nirvana. It's now you have tapped into rikpa, and you've realized it non, non-dually. And of course, you realize emptiness but you are viewing the whole of samsara and nirvana from the perspective of rikpa. And from that perspective, there's no preference for nirvana over samsara. That rikpa is equally present in the most awful of the hell realms up to the most sublime of the pure lands, and you're resting in that one taste that is equally present. It's called taknyam, equal purity. Equal purity of all phenomena. So now you've come kind of the culmination of lojong, of transforming, transmuting all felicity and adversity into the path. Well, now you have mastered that, because you're resting in rikpa, and whatever comes, you're seeing it simply as displays of rikpa, but with no preference, actually, no preference for, for, for nirvana over samsara, because you are viewing a reality from the perspective of everything being of one taste. This corresponds to the path of meditation. That's the path of... Path of ah! That's very interesting. I'm going to have to check that, because something's missing here. Um... There's, there's, okay, there's either a typo, or this is mistaken in the website, but I will check it out. Path of seeing has to come in here. So my expectation here is probably there in the freedom from elaboration. But I'm going to check, and I'll get back to you on Monday. Okay. What he says here is one taste corresponds to the path of meditation. That's the fourth path. And then no more learning. That's the fifth path. But then there's no reference here to path of seeing. So that I will check out. I should have noticed that before. And then finally, the fourth yoga is the the yoga of non-meditation, non-meditation. And this, he says, corresponds to the path of no more learning, that's the fifth path, and to Buddhahood itself. So that's a brief synopsis of the bigger picture. And so whether you'll be experiencing those this, in this lifetime or some future lifetime, that's where we're going on the path of Mahamudra and Dzogchen. Um, and I do find it helpful myself. You have the, the big picture to contextualize our day-to-day practice right now, and then that was an extremely brief, of course, synopsis of it, and then to gain a little bit more conceptual understanding, uh, also then can be very helpful to see. It kind of gives you a map. It would be like some of the early explorers, you know, uh, exploring North America, or, exploring, or going around the Magellan, going around the world, and so forth, but having some kind of a map. It's sketchy, but kind of having a sense, OK, this is how big it is. Like, not like Columbus, who thought that he could just travel a couple thousand miles and hit India, and that that was that big chunk of something in between. Um, yeah, North and South America, you know. And so it was no wonder that he thought that, that you know, these islands off in the, in the Caribbean were part of India, because his map was wrong. Because that, that was about how far he thought India would be, okay? And so something got in the way. And so when we have the big picture, even it's very sketchy, just a few little, little dots and connect the. A few dots, okay? Path of of accumulation, preparation, seeing, meditation, no more practice, Uh, four yogas, four levels of Vidyadhara. Okay, it's very, very sketchy, undoubtedly very vague. But if you have the big picture, then, for example, when you achieve shamatha and you realize substrate consciousness, you'll not be like, what's his name, Mm, Columbus, and think, oh. I'm a vidyadara because you didn't have the big map. Because you look at you, you, look like so many people do nowadays. You look at the description of rikpa and say it's spacious, check; luminous, check; blissful, check; profound, check. Wow! I'm a vidyadara. You know, the words are so similar, really, really similar. But then there's also similar for realization of emptiness. Spacious, check. Blissful, check, 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 check. So there's a big picture. So as you, over the months, the years, lifetimes to come, now these seeds are sown in your substrate consciousness. I've been a farmer throwing a whole bunch of seeds into your mind. Uh, that hopefully you'll not um, stop too short by mistaking a lower for a higher, which is absolutely commonplace nowadays. I mean, it's really extremely prevalent. I find this in the, the modern Theravada tradition. I can't speak for the Zen, I've not studied it, so I'll just be silent there. That's the only reason I'm silent, because I don't, don't know what I'm talking about. But Theravada, have some, I do, a little bit, yeah. And Mahamudra and, and Mahamudra, and Mahayana, and Dzogchen, and Vajrayana. It's extremely common nowadays for people to take something relatively modest and then give it a great big level, a big big name. But then it wasn't me, just me, you know, complaining, complaining. This is what Dujum Lingba said when people come to the substrate consciousness. Then some people call it the one taste. Some people call it freedom from elaboration. That was happening in the 19th century, right? And then Pensioner is saying some people, when they're practicing subtly in the mind, is natural state. They think, oh, when they come there and they're experiencing all phenomena, it's like being empty appearances. You remember that? And they have this freedom that nothing that arises in the mind can, can harm them. They know that. And it's very blissful and it's spacious and it's really very free of, kind of any substantial sense of identity, and think enlightenment, you know? And so there's an enormous amount of inflation that has been going on for centuries of people who just don't study enough. They get the words, but then they draw the words down their, their, to their level rather than drawing their level of experience up to the actual meaning of the words. So this is not just a, a modern thing, but if this was a real issue, back in the time of or in the 17th century, as he says, it is. He said, "Yogi's all over Tibet." Get this one wrong, in the 17th century, and then Dudjalingbu Padma Padmasambhava says, "People call this all kinds of things. You know, this settling in the substrate consciousness, big exalted Mahamudra levels. But I say you've just come to the essential nature of the mind, the substrate consciousness. So if that was happening when Dharma was really strong in Tibet, 17th century, 19th century, then how about now? You know, with all the commodification." And you know, teachers teaching what people want to hear. And they don't want to hear about ethics. They don't want to hear about you know, the ordinary stuff like shamatha. That's like some boring. Tell us about what would you rather have? Shamatha or Mahamudra? Shamatha or Dzogchen? Or an empowerment? How about a really high empowerment? You know? So people, you know, they like to get the biggest bang for their buck, we say in, in American English. They, you know, If they're going to spend the same thing for a retreat, you know, it costs something for accommodation and all of that, and some kind of dana for the teacher. If you're going to spend, spend the same amount for the retreat, and you either have, have, have something really basic, like shamatha, or you could have something really cool, like mahamudra, Dzogchen, or vajrayana, or tumo, or poa, or Ch. wow. It's kind of like, I, can, I got $100 here. I can either spend it on a VW or a Mercedes. Boy, that's easy. I'm going to take that Mercedes any day of the week. But then you find out, maybe later, that is a VW with a Mercedes grill. But maybe it's, not, maybe it's a broken VW. Because if you're trying to practice, you're trying to follow the instructions of Mahmudra, but you don't even have a, a, a serviceable mind, then how well, are you gonna, how, how well is that going to go? You're trying to do these big elaborate visualizations of Adriana, but you can't even focus for three seconds on anything. But now you're trying to do these elaborate visualizations with a hundred syllables here and this and, and all these elaborations of a mandala and so forth but you can't even focus for 10 seconds. It kind of looks like a joke. So it's not to say, and I want, want to say this, and then we'll take a break. It's not to say, hey, everybody who's practicing vajrayana, Mahamudra, and you're all wasting your time. You should just be practicing shamatha. Absolutely wrong. Completely wrong. I've never said it, never thought it. My teachers have never said that. It is to say that get your act together by primarily focusing on practices you can really do. In the meantime, like a farmer who's sowing one part of the field for for crops that won't ripen for 10 years, and and maybe the field here that won't ripen for 20 years, and this one for six years, and so forth. But meanwhile, you've got your vegetable garden that you can actually eat from. right? And the other ones will mature over time. right? There's the really balanced practice. Focus on things like the four immeasurables, and lojong, and the four applications of mindfulness, and of course, shamatha, and the preliminary practices, and the four thoughts that turn the mind, and bodhicitta, 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 bodhicitta. and all of these. That's practice we can really, we can really assimilate, transform. We, we see for ourselves that they're really beneficial because we know it through our own experience. And in the meantime, as you encounter really qualified lamas, then to receive empowerments, if you're following Tibetan Buddhism, sure, absolutely, sure. Get some introduction to Mahamudra and Dzogchen, absolutely, definitely, yes. And likewise with other practices, some practice of poa, wonderful, it's very, very deep. Sure, incredibly deep, very profound. But if you skip all the foundation and say, who needs that? I'm just going to focus on Chu or Tummo, or Poa, Dzogja Mahamudra. Then as I was told by Geshe Rabin years ago, many years ago, he said, if you do that, if you're not really in a sustained, very deep way cultivating those practices that are foundational, and you're spending all your time focusing way up there, you're not going to achieve way up there, because you're nowhere prepared. But you're also, by doing that, you're not laying the foundation either. So imagine, I'll end on this, on this metaphor, but imagine a person who becomes very intrigued by physics, like quantum mechanics. It's very cool. I mean, you can read, uh, there's a lot of popular literature. Tao of physics and all that cool stuff. Wow, man, this is really cool. I love this. Quantum mechanics. I want to study quantum mechanics. And then what you do, you watch NOVA. You watch many episodes of NOVA, and you read a lot of popular literature on quantum mechanics. And you think, wow, this is really cool. When's the next NOVA program coming on quantum mechanics? I want to watch that. That's going to be so cool. And I'll read some more novels or, or science fiction or maybe some really cool popular literature on quantum mechanics. That'll be really cool. And now I'm a quantum physicist because I've watched 13 episodes of NOVA about quantum mechanics. And I've read a whole bunch of popular books. Thank goodness there was no mathematics in it because I can't do math. But now I'm a quantum physicist. I hope I get a Nobel laureate. I am a Nobel Prize because I'm a quantum physicist. You silly. By engrossing yourself in the Nova and all that kind of stuff, you're not. It's very nice. You do get some understanding. It's nice. That's why they wrote the books. And Nova is a very good program. But if you're not going back and studying basic mathematics and quanti- and classical physics and electromagnetism and laying all the foundation, then you can watch as many Novas as the rest of your life, and read popular books of quantum mechanics. You'll never master. Quant- you'll never master quantum mechanics. If you do that for 100 lifetimes, you'll never do it. And you're not laying any foundation either. You don't learn about trigonometry and calculus and so forth by watching NOVA, right? So it's a close analogy. It's really fun, but it's a charade. It's a facade. It's, um, you missed it, because you could have become a quantum physicist, but that means watch the NOVA. It's fun. Do it. Watch watch NOVA. Read the popular book, but then get down and do the hard work. You know. And then you really become a physicist. Maybe you will get a Nobel Prize, or in Dharma, Maybe you'll become a noble person, which is an aria. Okay? That's it. That's all, folks. See you this afternoon.